Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith, mental health, and how the church can bridge the gap between them. You are joined again by your hosts, Michael McCord, Evan DeYoung, and Lindsay Geist. Hey everybody, I'm Evan. Welcome to our second conversation for our Not Alone series. We are so excited for you to be able to join us, whether you're watching by video or audio. We are thrilled that you're here. I'm here with Lindsay and Michael. I'll allow them to introduce themselves a little more. Hey everybody, I'm Lindsay Geist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker as well as an ordained deacon in the North Georgia Conference. Hey, I'm Michael McCord, and I've spent my entire life serving college students and uh, ministries that support them, and I'm an ordained uh, elder in the South Georgia Annual Conference. Glad to be here today. It's good to see you guys again. Yeah, so just a little bit of context. We had a project which uh, we had to rename because uh, it was called They Are Not Immune, and a little context, we are in the middle of a global pandemic, and that's not a great name for a mental health program and series of conversations. I mean, how did, you, did, you, did you ever think you'd have to interrupt a, uh, or to introduce people as we're in the middle of a global pandemic? It's it's it's. it's, it's it's not uh, it's not common, and I think that's I think that's a big thing. So we are now calling yeah. this uh, not alone instead of not immune. So welcome to our not alone conversations. We had been planning a series of community conversations around mental health for youth and young adults, their parents, caregivers, youth leaders, coaches, those kind of things. And we felt like it was important for us to still have those conversations and get the content we have been developing out there. And so we formatted it into a series of conversations that we are having at our respective domiciles during our physical distancing together. So now we are excited to be able to share that again. And this week, I am very excited to pick back up where we left off in our first conversation, which is with this. And I'm really disappointed because if you remember from last time, Evan committed to wearing it as a necklace around his neck. as a yoke upon his life. And, um, I was going to be Flavor Flav of the Feelings Wheel, but uh, given the context of this, uh, that is not a reference that would land very well. So uh, we are uh, going to jump right into this Feelings Wheel. And so partly what I have found interesting was the challenge that we gave to each other, which was that we are going to recognize that it can be challenging to just articulate exactly what we're going through, regardless of whether there's something extremely complicated in all of our lives, like right now, or whether it's just your typical routine. It's sometimes really difficult to articulate, bring up, even have the conversations around what we're going through. And Lindsay guided us to this wonderful feelings wheel as a tool and resource for us to be able to better understand ourselves. And then with the hopes of maybe eventually being able to have some conversations with those that we're in relationship with. So we all got our feelings wheel and we kind of tracked it a little bit and we just kind of wanted to just model the practice of what that would look like. And uh, I think for me, uh, it was to be honest, like a little more challenging than I expected it to be. I don't know. Where did you guys come in on it? I have been working on this practice for a while and it's one that I teach other people. So finding the words wasn't hard for me of what I was experiencing. However, I found myself uh, continually struggling with some of the, what I see as negative words that have been kind of portrayed that way by society. So anytime I was feeling sadness or disappointment, my natural inkling was to 
figure out how to move past that mm. real fast. Mm. Uh, so I started paying attention to that in myself as I was doing the activity. I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting observation uh, for yourself. Like to, and I think that's true. I mean, I think, I think looking back now at me selecting the words that best fit, there definitely was this like internal dialogue about whether this was a good one or a bad one. You like mm-hmm. in those simple terms, like mm-hmm. it's good to feel lonely or it's bad to feel lonely, you know, um, or, or, or something like, I just picked up loneliness here, but, but I also think the one, one of the, one of the words that keep coming to me was powerless. Um, mm-hmm. I think just cause it's like we're, we're, we're sort of sitting in the world right now, how, how powerless yeah. all of us uh, are. Um, you know, and how I would go to that, like, that's kind of the word I'm feeling, but then I'm like, I don't know, powerless is, that's a little strong. So I could see how you, uh, you kind of have this like dialogue about whether the, the words are good or bad. And then you, you sort of, where you land is kind of where you're feeling in that moment. So it's, I feel like I'm still doing work from some of what, uh, certain, uh, church culture has implied or Christian Mm. culture has implied to me in the past that always to jump to the more positive feeling, um, that we're always hopeful where there's always, uh, faithfulness and things are going to turn out okay in the end. And so I've had to do a lot of work over the years. And I know that with clients, we've had to do work of saying, okay, if we're sad, we can still be incredibly faithful and have something that's perceived as a negative emotion. Um, yeah, I mean, is it appropriate to feel powerless on Easter? Is that an appropriate? I, I uh, mean, it, I don't think that there's anything that's inappropriate when it comes to feelings, yeah, because all feelings are valid. Yeah, yeah, but I think it. But what you get at this idea of, the, of how the script. I might talk about scripts that that churches, I think that that culture gives, there are all kinds of cultural Mm -hmm. scripts that we inherit, you know, and one of those scripts I think you're talking about is this, this sort of theological happiness, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that there's this belief that if you are a believer, then everything should be good in your life. You should feel really good about everything. Um, And, you know, particularly on Easter, uh, at Christmas, those are the two times when we're supposed to be really happy. But you know, it's interesting. Like if you if you poll people, that's those are actually the high holy days are actually some of the most powerfully sad days, uh, too. Mm-hmm. But but we sort of don't want to talk about that. Well, that's why we move quickly from Monday Thursday into Easter. Um, we struggle with that pain arc in the same way that I was saying that I was struggling with some of the sadness or disappointment that I felt at certain times over the last few days, uh, that, that we feel like we should move past and be at the end of the story Mm -hmm. already. Um, and, and I'm noticing that even in this pandemic, people are wanting to already be okay with things. And at the end of the story. Yeah, it's like we just we we know if we can just identify the seven stages of grief. It's like I always just want to fly through them as fast as I can, and like I, it's like a ladder. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just fly up this grief ladder, and then I'm good. I've done it. I've done all the stages. I'm good. I can look down from the top, having conquered it. And that's the context that I find that I like to approach a lot of my, I would say more 
contextually negative emotions is that I only mm-hmm. ever talk about them in the past tense after they've passed. Uh, I'm not really great at engaging in what they are in the moment. Um, a lot of the time, I think that's because I like to process everything almost like verbally, like I like to be able to externalize those things. And so when I'm experiencing negative emotions, there's concerns that I'm going to be one to kind of spiral the conversation or say something that is probably not necessarily totally fair or accurate given the situation. So for me, uh, I don't know about everybody's different, but there is that kind of, I only ever reference it as something that happened to me a few days ago. It's very, very difficult for me to sit in the moment and then engage with that. And I think that that's partly what was really interesting and really challenging for me about the feelings wheel as it felt, I felt very elementary in order to kind of understand it if that makes sense. Like my, like my process was I started reading around it and I was like, what do I feel? I don't know. I don't know. And if you, if you look at these feeling wheels, they start with like the more typical ones in the middle and they kind of work their way out. And so I kind of had to like read it and say it in my mind. Like I asked myself the question, all right, am I fearful or am I angry? Like, which like, you know, it was like kind of hot or cold. And then when I heard. Kind of like when you're getting your eyes tested. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, is it this, this one, one or, or this is it this one? one? Is it one? Okay, this one feels clearer. Yeah. Is it angry or sad? Okay. But see, I think. And then sometimes you go, I don't know. That's, I can't tell. Yeah, but that's. That's, too. That, that's, <laughs> that's the word. Yeah, you just lie. Uh, ultimately. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 great. My, Everything's great. We do my, not want people lying about their my, feelings. Okay. My grandfather was an optometrist. You, so you, just, you just lie. I, I asked him one day, I was like, is this are you just doing this to mess with me? And he said, No, there's actually a difference between these. I didn't believe him. I no, always felt when I was younger that I had to answer. And I think it's the same way for me about feelings is that it, like, ah, I felt like okay. I, one had to be better than the other. And as I've gotten older now, I'm more comfortable when the uptime is just like, which is better? I'm like, I'm be honest with you. They're, uh, it's, they're both bad. Like, I can't. Like. <laughs> I think that's totally fascinating that when we're, when you were younger, there was a correct answer. And it sounds like even now it sort of feels that way at times for oh, you, yeah. um, that you, especially when you have some of those feelings that you said you won't say in the present, um, that (laughs) you'll only say, you'll only say some of those afterwards and say, I, um, was really sad or disappointed or lonely about that. Do you think that's because you feel like you might be judged if you said it differently? So there's a couple factors I think for me that are, influential one is that i am a highly positive person so in a moment that i don't feel positive it's very rare like extremely rare Uh, and so when i don't feel positive i don't really know what to do about it because it's almost like Mm. i just got like it's like you have siblings and you ever do this thing with your sibling where you hit around the corner with a pillow or something and then they turn the corner and you just (laughs) boom like clack them straight with the pillow and like my brother and I, I do that with do my that. children. Like, yeah, it's a, no, it's great. Totally, it's a, I feel badly for your brother. A great activity. Just hearing that story. Great. Well, yeah, we got a lot of good stories. So I think for, uh, I think for me, that's a lot of the time when those things happen. And so I don't like I get so surprised by it that I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Like I just need to 
stop because I think in my past it's gotten me into a lot of trouble because I just feel justified. You know what I mean? When you do like, I feel bad, man, like I'm, I feel crabby and I'm just going to do that. So I think in, in one way, there's the positivity aspect for me that I have found to be kind of challenging and found to be challenging with certain words on, on the feelings wheel, engaging with it in the present. And then the second thing is that uh, I don't, when I have an idea in my head, I don't like any any external influence until I've been able to look completely around it myself. So whether that's in work projects, whether that's in hobbies, whether that's in emotions and feelings, I want to fully realize it myself until I'm ready to externally process. And it's extremely frustrating for me to have to shortcut that process because I don't feel prepared to talk about it because I haven't thought through all the angles, which is more of, I guess, a strategic kind of background. Um, But those two things, I think, were a big factor for me. I think that's a great question and there's probably more there. And I'd look back on this conversation in 10 years and be like, well, <laughs> in 10 years or 10 days in the way that time feels like in the pandemic. I mean, it, yeah, it's true. It's you true. Can get to yeah. it real quickly. But part of, part of what you said kind of made me think about again, like this idea to, to sort of build off this idea of scripts is that you have a, a defining sort of, persona in that and you identify you self-identify as a positive person and i think there's a lot of people who sort of inherit those kinds of personalities or personas or 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 outward that's how people know them um and so whatever that and it could be the opposite it could be oh she's a really sad person or or he's a really he's a really angry person or he's got he's got lots of emotion like that we have used lots of labels like that and and how we sometimes embody the labels we've been given. Yeah. And I, and so it kind of makes me think about sort of looking at our core audience of who are really interested in helping around young adults is, is in my time with, in serving uh, with young people is that they do a lot of, I've experienced them doing a lot of sort of positioning where, where either they're trying to stay in script. So I'm, I'm, I'm always positive because I'm a positive person. And that's what people know me as. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them to know me as anything else because that's that's how I'm known. Um, or or sort of they feel constrained because they've always been seen as a negative person or a depressed person or a sad person. And so they, yeah. they kind of they, they feel like they can't be their full selves. But the more interesting one to me um, is is the protector that that students are really aware of their parents um mental physical financial well-being and so a lot of students mm-hmm. um want to protect their parents so so mm-hmm. they'll avoid talking about sadness and anger and and hurt and helplessness and despair and all those things like those what we would say negative emotions because they're afraid they're going to be a burden to their parents um or they don't want their parents to see them differently uh, because their parents see them as this other person. And so I think that's a really interesting uh, kind of place to to sort of think about and wondered if you've ever felt that way, where you felt like I kind of have this, I mean, because I think if you look at me, I, I, all right, some ordained pastors, a uh, Methodist pastor, and there are certain sort of embodiments that come with that. You know, it you you feel like you can't always be your full self with people because you're a pastor and you need to be their caretaker. You can't give your feelings out because you need to be receptive of, of theirs. And that's what your calling and duty is, you know? Um, so interesting. I just curious about how you guys have felt like you've been able to be yourself or not be yourself. And some of the reasons behind why 
you couldn't talk about those those emotions. Hmm. Yeah. Lindsay? Times I still wrestle with vulnerability. What spaces feel safe for me to be vulnerable and be my fully, um, I, I feel like I'm always my authentic self, so I shouldn't say that I'm not, but uh, kind of more transparent in some of the inner stuff that's going on with me. Uh, I think that there's spaces and people that get to hear all of the inner workings of who I am. Uh, and then in other roles, that's not what people get. If you come into my counseling office, I'm not going to sit there and start sharing everything about me. Um, also, because it's your time and not my time, um, I will go see my own therapist about the stuff that I need to process. What's been fascinating um, right now during the pandemic is how I've had to shift some of that, even in my work life. Uh, that for the first time, we're sitting in the ex uh, pretty similar trenches together. Uh, and it is hard for my own feelings to stay out of it. Um, and it is also incredibly therapeutic for the first time for me to share some of my own feelings more often than I would have in the past. Uh, so for me, it's been a very almost strange experience to go from a place that uh, was not always okay with me sharing parts of myself to now being a place where it's important that hmm. I'm sharing more of myself. Yeah, I think that's, I, I really relate to that a lot. The, the question that kind of guided me in the, in the, the, the really the feelings wheel kind of turned me around to was one I didn't realize how many different um, emotions and feelings I was actually feeling in a day like because oh. if you mm -hmm. if I don't do it in the moment I just look at it kind of like as like a, a an end of day report you know I will typically summarize all the information and then just and then the details just go away I know both of you have worked with me for a while now so this this is shocking to you uh, and so it's the same thing Glad you're telling the rest of the world how your brain operates it's the same thing that happens when my I have a conversation with somebody for an hour and my wife is like oh you know what'd you guys talk about and I was like uh they're frustrated by this but they're getting over it their mom is doing good and made a quiche and she's like you talked for an hour like what did like what did you talk about i was like i just told you she's like, that's three sentences like <laughs> i like i like this like this is a friend of ours like how like you, it's like it's like can, can you not share it and i'm like no i did totally fine i shared it all and so it's the same thing that i do when it comes to emotions so when i was tracking it during the day it was a different process it I, I really mm -hmm. really felt like I was like oh like I like and a lot of the ones that I'm like I don't really experience that very much you know what I mean because it would never show up on my like end of day report you know what I mean like yeah. my quarterly report in my own mind <laughs> I just thought that it wasn't happening because I literally am a puppy dog and I just blow through it to the next fun thing and then I nap and then I wake back up like that's <laughs> like that's just kind of that's just kind of how I oh. like to live and and work so that was really, really interesting. Uh, I think the one that was like really interesting was like inadequate. Like I like hmm. I was like, oh, like I feel inadequate in this moment. And it it lasted for like a minute and a half. But if I hadn't been looking for it and hadn't had 
an objective thing that for some reason, just seeing it written on a colorful wheel, I felt like I had permission to feel it in a little more of a way, if that makes sense. I thought that was Mm -hmm. fascinating. Mm -hmm. I just keep thinking about as I, every time I look at the feelings wheel and I'm processing kind of how I've been during the day or how I am in the moment, I always go back to Fred Rogers and good old Mr. Rogers theology of you can feel two feelings at once that I think it's natural for us to want to name only one but even in the moment and reflecting back Mm -hmm. on these past few days there were so many moments that I was having two feelings at the exact same time and it can feel conflicting inside of you when they are very different feelings at the same time as well. But for me to be really honest with myself, I needed to honor that both of those were there at the exact same time. I don't know what I was going to say. You you spawned something (laughs) in my mind and then it just went blank. But (laughs) Those are really funny pause there. Those are some of my favorite moments from working on this project though, have just been where we talk and talk and talk and then everybody goes, Huh. And then we'd well, all just sit there in a room for like four minutes and be like, that is pr- okay. I know what I was going to ask you, Lindsay, because you're our, you're our feelings wheel guru. And that is the, I'll put that on my business. That's, card. that's right. Thanks. Fear and love are next to each other. Are, are these, are these emotions uh, oriented in a way that are somehow um, somewhat close together are they just sort of because because i was looking particularly Mm. maybe because i was feeling a bit helpless around the tornadoes that were coming through so this is we're recording this just after easter and there was a big storm system that came through georgia and we were supposed to have we georgia had a lot of tornadoes Uh, we were okay here at my house but but i went through a lot of effort last night putting sleeping bags in the basement and stuff just to deal with my help sense of helplessness that i couldn't do anything about this, but but then next to it was also this like, uh, just next to fear is love on my on the wheel that I have, mm-hmm. and there's this word relieved. So there's this helplessness and relieved kind of sitting next to this fear and love. And I, I, I anyway, I wondered if there was any. You, you talked about feeling different emotions. If if these are just sort of oriented in a way that just works, or if there is some connection between like love and fear and surprise and joy and sadness and surprise. I don't know. I just, it's something that kind of made me wonder. So there's a few different feelings wheels out there right now. So my guess is, is that the three of us may or may not have the exact same version in front of us. Um, I I know heaven forbid, I guess I could have done a best feeling. You can see mine's in the reflection. That that does not surprise me that you would have Googled that. Um, I just Googled so, better than Michael's. That's all. <laughs> all That's your life goal. Just, Got it. I just, um, my feelings will be better than that. <laughs> so there are a few different versions. Um, therefore, I don't know if it's set up in a particular way. One of the original versions that I have found is by Gloria Wilcox. Um, but I haven't done enough research to be able to figure out why they have shifted mm-hmm. over time. So I'll count that as some of my homework and look we'll into find that. out about that. I, I did. Cause you know, like it, it, I mean, all of our emotions are probably just a hair away from each other. 
in lots of ways, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. the idea of being angry and being overcome with joy is just, there's nuance that, that occurs. I mean, there's life, passion right? involved in yeah. both of those. Yeah. Incredible passion for both of those. Yeah. Um, fear and surprise to me probably too, just, just a hair apart, uh, to be on the situation. One thing that I found that was interesting and be interested to hear your opinion on, uh, in the, the general process is cause we're, as we're talking about what it looks like for us to do it internally, especially because remember our end goal was also to understand and then be able to have those kind of conversations in our relationships. If that's something we feel like we want to do was that like just having looked at it on like a semi-regular basis, I felt like it's kind of hard to articulate. Let me know if this doesn't make sense. I felt like my emotions happened a little bit slower. Like everything kind of happened in like slow motion because it started to feel something. And I was like, Oh, this is a new one. Like I need to like chart it and see like, what, what is this one coming up? Like, and if you talk to my wife about like feelings, she's like, yeah, that's really not really him. Uh, and so it's it not was, your area of expertise. It doesn't come naturally to you. It sounds like for you to name them. Yeah, no, but now that I have this wheel that I've been wearing around my neck, um, I'm the foremost feelings wheel expert. Thanks to you guys. No, but I think the that pace and the speed, <laughs> it, felt like, it felt like things slowed down for me a little bit uh, in a way that I found was interesting. I don't know if that, is that common or is that like, can we expect s- to experience something new when we just spend time on it? I would say that's common about uh, both this feelings wheel, but a lot of things you would just uh, work on in a counseling or therapeutic setting as well. Anytime we are paying attention to the way that our mind is working. Uh, it will feel like things are going a little bit slower and you're able to pick up on all the nuances and small details because you are being so aware of everything you're thinking and feeling. Um, So that doesn't sound surprising to me Mm. at all that you, when you're paying attention to it, it's not as much of a blur Mm -hmm. and you're getting a few more details along the way. It's kind of the practice of mindfulness. You know, this idea Mm -hmm. that we slow down and we actually experience everything that we're experiencing. So when you're eating in the present, in the very, yeah, in the moment that you're in. So if you're eating dinner, that you actually take time to taste every flavor that's in your mouth and the texture and you think about it and you give thanks for it. And the whole idea of like slowing down gives you a chance to really appreciate the fullness of what you have in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the thing too about the emotion wheel, wheel, emotion wheel is that <clears throat> emotions like the really cool thing that we get as humans. Um, we have this these really powerful emotions, uh, some of us more powerful than others. Um or outwardly more powerful than others, but the emotion's really powerful. And so many times it passes over us with ever, without even acknowledging it. And, mm-hmm. and because we don't slow down and we don't take a chance to name it, it just washes over us, you know, like a wave on the beach. And then, and then the next one comes. And then, and then what I found uh, for myself over the weekend was um, whatever I felt last is what I thought I felt the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that really sort of tracking the emotion for me over time, because mine kind of went back and forth between, you know, as we started off with good and bad and whether they're right or wrong feelings and all that, it's like sort of you, the, the weight of those kind of went back and forth, you know, where I was feeling 
really hopeful and satisfied and blissful even. And then at other moments, helpless, you know, and then you look back and you're like, Oh, I felt all these things. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, it's kind of reassuring in some ways that I wasn't just always anxious. Um, even though anxiety is probably the one feeling that feels a little bit consistent across these days of isolation. Um, but, but I think that's important part of it. Just slowing down, like you just taking the moment, to pick a name was more awareness of your emotion than you probably give an emotion in your entire life. Just because you don't like doing that kind of stuff. Off to the races. The the huh. other thing is, is that we're in a very unique space right now in this global pandemic. And so it is, our lives are full right now. So this next little bit, I don't want you to hear as everybody's lives are easy right now. They are full in different ways. Mm. Before this, before we were at home, we were very busy all the time with just busy things. Um, again, not that our days are not full at home with kids running under feet and you know trying to crisis school as well as hold down the fort of keeping your job and all sorts of other things. But busy is our way of masking uh, us having to identify any of our feelings. You're going to have to stop and right so, there because I don't know if my I can handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> True. If you keep running, you never feel anything. Let me, let me stop you right there, Miss Counselor Lady. She's <laughs> gone to meddling. I know you asked for a therapy session at some point in all of this, y'all, um, and I'm giving it to you um, for free right now. So listen to this. Um, so we use busy to run away from a lot of our feelings. And I think part of why our feelings felt very strong in the first few days of physical distancing and staying at home and sheltering in place is that all of that was stripped away for maybe one of the first times, plus you added in extra elements of unknowns and uncertainty that it's as though we were juggling a bunch of balls and then somebody threw in another one and they pulled out the rug from underneath us. Mm -hmm. And we said, oh my goodness. So now we're experiencing um, all of this so much more and we don't feel like we have the same places to hide anymore. And so that's partly why they they feel like they've intensified. Yeah, I think I think it, well, a perfect example for me is is this feeling that I had Saturday night as I was sitting outside. Or no, 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 sorry, was it Saturday? Yeah, it was Saturday night. Yeah, because we did an Easter egg hunt on Saturday with our neighbors uh, in the woods where I built the kids a treehouse this Christmas. Um, and the highlight of my whole week, we were talking about at the end of the week. At the end of the weekend, we always look back and ask the kids, "What was your favorite thing over the weekend?" and and mine was just sitting there in a chair chatting with my neighbors while the kids were hunting Easter eggs. I mean, a very simple activity. Whereas Michael McCord, who travels every single week, it is very busy and maybe running from my feelings too a little bit, Lindsay. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> may not have had the opportunity to fully experience blissfulness because of all the places I was going next. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the things about my personality is being a three, being an achiever is I've got this list of things that I want to accomplish in life and in not just like big things in life, but little things too, just a running list of like a, like a running t- honey do list. That's my own list. Um, and so 
this has forced me because I cannot get them done because I cannot leave the house means I've had to put them aside and just take in blissfulness, which was in simplicity, which was really, really a lovely gift that I don't think I necessarily would have experienced had none of this happened because we'd have had a softball game. We would have, you know, I'd been planting flowers and getting my, all this other stuff that I needed to do done. Um, But instead I just sat in my yard, which was pretty nice. So I want to pivot just a little bit because I had, um, I don't know if you guys, do you guys watch a million little things? I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course you do. Of course you do. Evan, are you as cool as us? We've already established that is not the case. <laughs> Evan Evan was, was hoping, busy. I was hoping this would redeem you. Evan, right Evan was busy watching Love is Blind while while I was watching a million well, we were watching a million little things. But um mm-hmm. anyway, it's Molly a tra- feeling. It's a tried feeling to, it is show. it is a of course I'm watching she, something that's feeling. She tried to get me to well, I watched half an episode of that and couldn't do it. So, you know, it, this idea, this million little things is that these guys uh, become best friends by accident. Their families come together. They become a sort of lifelong family friends. One of them dies. Um, uh, and, and then it's sort of following all the drama that apparently happens to them um, all the time, which is really like us. I mean, we all have drama all the time. Uh, theirs is just amped up a little bit for television, but, but it's, it's a very real, I, very real sort of this uh, in the sense of the, the potency of things experienced um, is is really real in that. But then th- there's this scene I watched. I'm, I'm behind. Um, but there's this scene I watched. There's this guy, this character, Gary, who's kind of a mess. Um, he's went through through breast cancer and uh, as a man. And that has its own implications and relationship stuff. But then he's he's like this uncle to this this boy who I think maybe 11 or 12 in character uh, named Daniel and Gary and Daniel are really close friends. And he's like uncle Gary and Daniel's like his little nephew and they take care of each other and they mess with each other and stuff like that. But it turns out Gary was the first one that Daniel reveals uh, something important about his character that, that, that he's gay. And there's this like relationship that exists between there. And so there's this really potent moment uh, about that first revealing that they're in the middle of. And one thing I saw in this that just moved me was that Gary had over time shared his emotion with Daniel. And I think appropriate ways, not like over emoting or, or putting weight on, but, but was modeling modeling what it was like to have emotion and to talk about it and to be vulnerable. And then Daniel in turn picked up on this and modeled back to it responded to Gary's modeling and shared what who he wouldn't share with anybody else, but just shared with Gary. And then at the, in this particular episode, we see that Gary is sort of oblique in the sense, you know, I don't want to give away all your story, but the, what's happening doesn't really matter. Well, I think what, what in the end we see Gary is really upset about something and Daniel's in tune. The boy is in tune with this and he's upset too. And so he, offers an olive branch and shares some of his emotion. And then Gary's able to share some of his emotion. And what we see in this story is like something I think that's missing from society. I think there's this idea that adults have to present themselves as having it all together. And that Mm -hmm. I can't show the emotion I'm going through. 
Like I, I can't let my kids know that I'm sad or that I'm anxious or that I feel like I'm inadequate or any of those sort of feelings that, that we overcome. And in turn, what we teach our kids is they're not allowed to share those emotions either and they shouldn't have them. And in this moment, I guess what was so profound about it for me was you got to see two human beings of different ages be able to share life together in a way in which they were able to be healthier for each other. And, and, and an older, an adult modeling this to a child to be able to help him navigate his own, you know, stuff in life. And so I guess I want to just put that little scene out there and you should go watch it and you'll cry and all that. Cause if you need a good cry, that, that'll help you. Evan Always. will get you hooked. Yeah. Don't worry. Evan, Evan will come next week. Evan will come back and he'll, he's mm-hmm. going to watch every episode between now and then every episode it, of you have that much free time right pretty little liars <laughs> <laughs> um, little so liars. so Lindsay, i guess what i'm talking about is like how how can if if their parents on this call this call <laughs> not on this call <laughs> i'm so tired of zoom oh my gosh if there are parents listening to this none of us slept much because of the that's tornadoes true. so that's it's true. okay that's true. if there if there are parents or, or, or adults who have relationships with kids um with young people with young adults even with high school and college age like how how do you begin is it right to start to show your feelings like that? How do you begin to be a little bit more vulnerable with kids in a way that's healthy and that models that and kind of invites it back so that uh, there is this place where you, you have someone to go to? I think, you know, I think the fear is, is that if we start sharing for adults, they often get afraid if they share a feeling, um, then it will be too much for somebody. Um, as as we get older, we get this concept that uh, we are too much. Um, and so we need to hold it all together and not release that. However, there's a difference between modeling your feelings and dumping your feelings. It would be inappropriate to talk, um, you know, all about some of your uh, inner deep, dark stuff with your child, maybe, um, as though they are your therapist. Uh, but at the same time, it is okay to say, I'm really sad and disappointed in the middle of this pandemic that I'm not seeing other people that I love either. I am really angry at the world around us and some of the choices people are making. Um, and, and just Practicing naming those things is the perfect way to model to somebody else, especially somebody that is younger than you. Um, In some ways, doing this feelings wheel type work and putting name to feelings and letting feelings themselves be neutral. We started off this entire conversation talking about how there is this perceived stigma of good and bad or positive and negative feelings, when in reality, all feelings are neutral. And so the more that we model talking about feelings, the more we show that they are neutral and normal for all of us. So again, sharing is not dumping too much on somebody. Just naming the feeling is not putting too much on somebody else. It is healthy modeling Mm. by doing that. Mm. Here's Here's a thought. And tell me, 
what you think about this, but it's a common situation that I think we find ourselves in, uh, especially as Americans, is that if if and when someone identifies a f- something that they're feeling that is negative, uh, I'm sad right now or whatever. Perceived it, negative feeling. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And so it seems like that just kind of like yanks the break on whatever else we're doing. And like the focus then becomes that we like, we either have to just sit there awkwardly or we should try and fix it. Like if you told like if you told somebody, it's like, oh, I'm just kind of sad today. They'd be like, oh, well, I need to, the natural reaction is I should cheer you up. Right. Like that's, that's that feeling. And so like, if I was in a meeting and I was like, I don't know, guys, I'm just kind of feeling sad. Like that would just derail the whole meeting. Right. Like we would be like, Oh, well, what's going on? Do you, do you want to talk about it? Like, do you need, do you want to, do we need to talk? Like, Especially what, what if Evan that? came to a meeting and said, I'm feeling sad. Oh, yeah. Then we'd all be, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be. <laughs> when it's, I'm reinforcing your script here, Evan, too. Yes, yeah. thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> uh, I, I would, yes, I have carefully crafted my role and I appreciate you helping me keep up the illusion. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and so my question is, I think that, uh, my immediate reaction would be to do that, that there's a, there's now a problem that needs to be fixed. I need to do something. And so how do we strike that balance of being able to say like, like if I was playing, if we were like hanging out and it's like, I'm sad. It's like, Oh, we can just hang out and you can just be sad. Like, that's okay. Like, like you can be sad and read a book and it's okay to just be sad and read a book. Like there's, there's no, there's no problem there. You don't have to try and like apply the like equal and opposite positive reactive side of the feelings wheel to like cure yourself you know what i mean and how, what is that balance and how do we like live that in a, in a home in a home setting in an office setting I, I just have no idea what that would look like mm-hmm. i mean na- honoring what they just said is that if you said you were sad i wouldn't want us to go okay and move on because <laughs> it might have taken it might have mm-hmm. taken a lot of vulnerability for you right. to say that and let's say you had the courage to say, I'm feeling really sad, which is unusual for you to have those words come out of your mouth. If the rest of us said, okay, and moved on, that might shut you down for the future and make you not want to share again because you used all this courage and then you got no result. Um, at the same time, I think why we jump into trying to fix it all the time with other people is because we are uncomfortable with that feeling. Mm. So if I came to you and said, I'm feeling disappointed and sad today, you might try to jump to fix it very quickly and try to cheer me up because you, especially Evan, don't like the concept of sad. Like that feels too heavy for you in trying to be the more positive person. Um, So a lot of times feelings that we are uncomfortable with or try to fix for other people is, uh, something that we probably need to explore in ourselves of why we're so uncomfortable with those feelings. I don't think we need to, I mean, we don't need to try to be somebody's therapist. If you are not trained as a therapist, you do not need to be one. Even if you are, you two are my friends. I would not be your therapist and I would refer you to somebody else. Um, We don't need to solve everything for the people that we care about and we love. We can just be present in it. And I think that that is a hard practice, much like the feelings wheel, a hard practice that uh, will feel like working out a new muscle at the beginning, but we'll get better over time. Here's a little bit of real life. My, my son just hey. came in to tell me that one of our bridges broke in our, in our woods. So 
Thank you, buddy. And oh. it broke some holes Did in it? the woods. It broke some holes. And in the it made the water really deeper. Oh, really? All right. Well, after I'm done here, I'll come out and check on you, okay? And you can show me all about it, okay, bud? I'll thanks show for, you on. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for telling me. Sounds like he's really sad. <laughs> he's... Well, hold on. Let me find the wheel. Um, <laughs> I think well, he... I think- He's feeling disillusioned, perplexed. Disillusioned. That our, you know, that our woods, or maybe a little bit of astonishment too, that the rainstorm last night washed out one of our little bridges over the creek. Well, there you Hmm. go. And the water is more full. These are. (laughs) And and you know what? This is a great opportunity when you get off this conversation to go model how. Astonished. How his feelings are appropriate. Yeah, yeah just back absolutely. up that dump truck of emotions that you're dealing with, and just... I, I know I'm going to tell him how the stream comes from a retention pond that's filled with pollution, and <laughs> <laughs> that the true bridge is in our hearts in conservation. So I guess, like thinking about sort of where we might land this plane um, that nobody's flying because you can't fly anymore. Um, is this idea that that, <laughs> that, uh, that that we've got these feelings, they are okay to have. All of them are okay. In fact, they're all natural. And if you maybe if you weren't feeling anger in your life ever, or you weren't acknowledging fear, or you weren't like that, that if you were just living in one of these little segments, then that's that's probably that's probably not realistic for you that you probably, that's okay and normal for you to have all of these feelings and that slowing down and acknowledging your feeling, giving it a name um, that's maybe closer to what you're really feeling, not just the big categories of uh, angry or sad or happy or those sorts of things, but kind of move a little bit deeper that that practice itself is, is really important because it slows down everything and allows you to experience it. this idea of mindfulness and that, that then it gives you some words that you can use in a place of vulnerability with other people, whether that be with your son or daughter or nephew or neighborhood um, kid that you have some family relationship with or someone in your church. So you can model what it's like to, to be honest about emotion in a, in a healthy way so that they might be able to, to see you as a person um, that they can trust to share emotions with. And then also just learn how to I think just using the words themselves, like learning, you know, language is something that you model. It's a, you, you can only learn so much technical stuff in a, in a book. You got to actually see someone say, I'm feeling really depressed right now about being stuck in the house for so long. Um, that allows them to be able to say those same feelings or, or whatever feelings that they're feeling. I think you just have to model it. Um, and, and I think in, at least in my experience working with, with young adults is, is they don't have a lot of models for dealing with emotion. And, and part of that's our culture, our busyness, um, the pressure that parents feel to, to be academic advisors or coaches or, or career uh, providers. Like, like there's, there's just a lot of pressure on, or just simply to get your kids from one place to another. There's not a lot of time to feel in all of that. And, and, it, and it's not that the emotion's not there, it's just we're not slowing down to feel it and experience it. And so so that being the case, 
then they haven't seen adults actually acknowledge emotion in a way that's healthy and responsible and, and honest. And so they end up going to college believing that that's, they're an adult and adults don't do that. So I, I got to put my childish things away and I can't be angry more. I can't be visibly sad or hurt or anything. And I can't ask for help because adults have it all together. Um, and, and so I guess that's kind of where I'm, I'm thinking we might pull away from we this all need to be, We need to be carving out intentional space to name our feelings um, and start honoring them all, that they are all neutral. It is very biblical for us to have emotions. Jesus felt a whole lot of emotions and it's written throughout scripture um, that, that emotions are, feelings are neutral and we need to honor them and recognize that uh, it's part of what God gave us for a reason, for us to feel human and whole, and it's a beautiful gift. And uh, that sharing them with one another is another gift that God gave us to be in relationship with one another. And I think it's been really fun with the three of us spending time together. Uh, We have done more and more as we have grown in trust with one another. We have dug in deeper to a lot of those feelings with one another. And um, I think it's neat to see how with anybody that you grow in trust, you can also grow in courage and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys definitely tricked me. Yeah, this was <laughs> this <is> a trap. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Thanks, thanks for learning how to name some of your feelings today, Evan. I'm glad that we could have the second conversation really to be helping you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into uh, my therapy session. Uh, and <laughs> no, we're we're really excited uh, that uh, you were able to be a part of this conversation and uh, just hopefully some honest dialogue that's encouraging that you can see human experience in that your soul can kind of connect with uh, some of the, the challenges, experiences and opportunities that we all go through. And Michael, Lindsay, really thankful for uh, your friendship and time and, and the conversation. Thank you again for tuning in with us. If you would like to find out more about us or contribute your own thoughts to our conversation on social media, you can find us on Facebook at the not alone podcast or on Instagram at the not alone pod. To find out more about the UM Commission, you can go to our website at www.umcommission.org. See you next time.